Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today we have a very special host that, that I hold dear and near my heart because he's been at the fulcrum of the whole conversation around asset management, shall we say, <laughs> and the history around it. And Steve Springlet is here with us today to talk a lot about not as bomb, but what's originally that they created. But before we dive in in the very fun and interesting conversation, Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what you do, what keeps you busy? Francesco, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, my name is Steve Springett. I do a lot of stuff. I'm a leader of multiple OWASP projects, the OWASP Cyclone DX uh, Bill of Materials Standard, the OWASP dependency track project, the OWASP software component verification standard. And I do a bunch of other things like package URL and that sort of thing. What I actually get paid to do is uh, I'm one of the directors at product security over at ServiceNow, where I'm trying to help 4,000 plus developers build secure and resilient software. That's fantastic. And in all your history of OWASP and application security, of which you're a pillar. What is your opinion right now of the state of the industry? We've, we've been through a lot of noise. So shall, shall we put it that way? What do you think we are, where we are right now, and where we're heading? There's a lot of efforts, like with the executive order, there's efforts for them like SSDF, et cetera. Even, even in OWASP, right? There's in the OWASP top 10, the most recent one, there's a focus on secure design. I think as an industry, we are starting to value design, security design for the value that it provides. But we're also like, we have a lot of shiny little new toys that acronyms floating around. We have zero trust, we have SBOM, we have all these other shiny little things and while these things are important, all the other things that, you know, are also have been in the OWASP top 10 for like the last 20 years, they're still there, right? SQL injection is still, a, is still an issue. You know, cross-site server-side request forgery is still an issue. You know, RCEs are still an issue. We have a lot of vulnerabilities in our first-party code. And although we have these shiny new acronyms and things that people want us to pay attention to, we can't necessarily lose sight of all the other things that are equally important. So how do we bring back the conversation from the very sexy, shiny, latest 
password that is boom, P-bomb, or star bomb <laughs> into the old and boring world of asset management that is, I believe, where a lot of this started originating from. It is. The, the concept of a bill of material is, is nothing new, right? Manufacturing has been using these things for decades. Software, especially with the advent of package managers, package managers made things very convenient for us. Before we, we actually had package managers, a lot of us were just putting our dependencies next to our version control, in, next to our first party code in version control, and we would actually track them. But with package managers gave us uh, a little bit more of uh, freedom and convenience, but we also lost sight of what exactly we're pulling into our applications. And yeah, so we're starting to focus a lot on software transparency as a movement, which is to say that it's kind of the list of ingredients. I don't know why we always talk about food, but for whatever reason, the industry always likes to, to, to talk about food labels and uh, the fact that you can, can list your ingredients that way. If you have an, an analogy to, uh, allergy to peanuts, you can make risk-informed decisions. But you know that kind of transparency is, is kind of what SBOM can provide. But at its core, it's really about tracking, tracking assets, right? tracking components, tracking inventory, not only for an application, but across the entirety of an enterprise. And if your enterprise consists of tens of thousands or millions of, of assets, well, that's kind of the scale at which you know some organizations are thinking about today. Right. And a lot of organizations have tens of millions of assets, but we seem to have kind of getting hold of at least the cloud part of it because somebody can kind of produce them automatically. We're still fighting with the network, and I don't think we will ever get hold of the infrastructure asset management ever. But software is complicated. It's, 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 as you said, with packet management, you have multiple layer of dependency. And maybe we made it so easy that we just adopt codes without thinking twice that we're just pulling code in. And was that the nexus maybe of where we start bringing code in our organization to make it so easy to download a package, adopt a library, and you know, somebody else will think about it and we don't think that that's coming from externally. Or maybe why has taken us so long to get hold of those problems? Why is it being so relevant right now? That's my question. It's a long-winded um, question. Yeah, I, yeah I, I don't know. I think it's, I think a lot of it has to do with breach fatigue, quite honestly. You know, a lot of us in the industry that have been in here for a while we thought the struts vulnerabilities over a decade ago, we thought those were going to be the catalyst. And then there's been multiple third-party libraries uh, since then that, oh, well, this is going to be the new catalyst. And then it was log for shell which, which certainly helped things along. Um, it's the gift that keeps on giving in terms of <laughs> you know, using it as, as an example. <laughs> but it's about time because when we talk about procurement and using a package manager is in fact procurement you are getting other things from a different supplier no you're you're typically not paying for it right it's it's open source but it actually is a procurement process and 
when you think about procurement in the enterprise context, you have entire teams dedicated for vendor risk management and all of these other things that the organizations do for due diligence. And that's great. But then you have the wild west of package managers that nobody's really looking at for the most part. And pulling in a lot of these vulnerable, sometimes even malicious packages happens on a daily basis across all different kinds of organizations. So in a lot of ways, you know, the log for shells, all these other examples, solar winds, we, we as companies don't want to be the next example of that. So thankfully, you know, a lot of the software transparency movement has kind of recognized that this is a problem. I think it's, well, I think in general, it's, it's a good thing, but uh, the amount of power a developer, an individual developer has in a lot of organizations is extraordinary compared to procuring traditional commercial software. So I think this is kind of, you know, trying to balance the scales, so to speak. No, you, you're absolutely right. And I think you made me think procurement is actually a very slow for a reason process sometimes. And a lot of people are thinking, are we putting organizational risk? Are we putting all our eggs in a basket? Open source and adopting a library, it's sometimes seen as a gimmick, as a gadget, and maybe also a little bit on the cloud adoption. But there is a kind of a shop in the cloud where you trust a radio where they come already pre-vetted, even though there are attack vector even in the cloud where you can just click and adopt. But as you rightfully say, we given rightfully developer a lot of power with the DevOps movement, with breaking the barriers, with going fast and breaking things. As a security profession, we have lagged a little bit behind for some reason. And I'm going to be a bit controversial. And has shift left and DevSecOps failed? We shift everywhere now. Yes, we shift everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mentioned shift. <laughs> yeah, no, no relation to the former company that was called Shift Left either. But yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot of things that security teams need to be involved with. Sure, it's 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 good to run things like static analysis and third party component analysis dynamic analysis, pen tests, all these things, but it's equally important to get the definition of done correct, get your threat model in place and all these other more left of the SDLC type fit behaviors. So some folks in the industry think are saying shift smart. And I think that's, I'm starting to really buy into that because not every single application is going to have the exact same risk profile, right? If I have a certain application that has low confidential data and the risk of compromise, even if it was, is kind of low, am I really going to spend a lot of time threat modeling this thing? Probably not, right? Because it doesn't introduce a lot of risk to the business. But for the things that do, yeah, I'm actually, I'm really going to take a, a, a really active look at not only the use cases, obviously the abuse cases, the data, the data classifications, direction of flow of data. I might even do an attack tree. That way I might know what things I might want to put in countermeasures in a, in a stacked priority order based on the maybe the expense of the adversary to pull off a certain compromise, right? 
So yeah, for the things that matter, I'm I'm going to do a lot of the things that are that are on the left of the SDOC. So the whole notion of shifting smart, I think, is 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 where we as an industry need to be. I really like the shifting smart, and I really like the the fact that you mentioned the risk based approach because ultimately it's a balance of resources. We don't have a platoon of security people, and we will never have a platoon of security people. So we rather focus on the things that matters most rather than focusing on all the noise that we are around and bomb hasn't really helped us, but has created, like, as you rightfully say, what is an application? What is business critical application? What is it formed of? Like, how do you spend time thread modeling a piece of code? Like, how do you link a business application to a piece of code? And here we go back to asset management. <laughs> It's at the center of everything we do, isn't it? You yes. have to know what you have if you want to protect it. Really? I, I think I never taught me in school. That's why. Yeah, that's I why know we're in this situation. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I, I, I think maybe asset management and, and knowing how you build things. Well, first of all, it's complicated. Like It's like any... Any application that has been built by multiple teams, you forget how it was built. Unless you are the 1% of organization, and even the 1% of organization have legacy, have things that have been built by multiple layers of teams, and who knows why that particular file was there and nobody want to touch it. Or, God forbid, there is an API, everybody now relies on it. <laughs> how do we go making asset management sexy again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, first of all, first of all, we need to we need to make a, a a three or four letter acronym for it because asset inventory or asset management is not cutting it. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, we we need a world government, whether it's UK, US, I don't care. We need a world government to then like be the uh, the cheerleader, the, the the leader for for that particular acronym, whatever that acronym is. So that's kind of what the U.S. has done with the the whole S bomb thing. So that's that's been kind of interesting to watch. But that again, it's all it's all asset management at at its core. That's really what it is. I have to say there are a lot of critics around spawn and and I'm vocal about it versus no, there are other people that are vocal about. I think it just nudges in the direction, rightfully or wrongly, to create a discussion. Like we need to have a central place to declare vulnerability. We need to give people the ability to do asset management. And spawn is just a way to start of a very critical problem. Are we gonna go to P bomb and A bomb and anything bomb, star bomb? Maybe. Are we going to start making risk-based decision and asset management? Maybe. Or what's the next thing? What's the next thing in your view? I don't know. So one, SBOM has a lot of utility. And, uh, you know, obviously the critics are there, but SBOM is is really useful. There was a uh, blog post by uh, Golden, Goldman Sachs that was put out, I don't know, a year or two ago. And it actually showed, like when Log4Shell was an issue, it actually showed they were able to to find a, every occurrence of that vulnerable version of Log4j in their environment in like five minutes, right? That's valuable, and it's because they were producing S bombs in their build pipeline. Uh, they were ingesting those Cyclone DXS bombs using dependency track, so they they had this historical record, right? It's just 
good engineering. And that good engineering was, you know, it paid off when that vulnerability, that really severe vulnerability came to be. They were able to respond within minutes. And many organizations were still trying to find out their occurrences of Log4Shell or Log4J months after the actual incident happened. And so there's a lot of value in that. Now, whether or not that value translates in the exchange of SBOMs with other parties in the supply chain, I guess to be to be decided, right? I, I don't think there's enough people doing that today, but there is tremendous benefit for just organizations internally actually doing this. And it's it's one of these things where I had a conversation a week or two ago, and we were debating, for example, me and a, and a colleague of mine, we were debating the value of threat modeling. And it's, it's a lot of time up front. And his argument, his argument was, well, if you create some static analysis rules, you can, you can find the exact same things that you're looking for. And he's absolutely right. However, the best things that I have discovered in terms of output from threat modeling has nothing to do with the threats that you can discover, right? You, you can find those with tools eventually, the biggest value I've ever found from threat modeling is knowledge sharing and culture change. They're priceless because it gets everybody thinking about what could possibly go wrong. And that's, that's priceless. And I think SBOM has a very similar impact, right? It gets people into a best practice. It is transparent in that now they actually see what their inventory is. And now they can't necessarily claim that, oh, I didn't know I had this 12-year-old component in my in my software stack. That's interesting. Now that we know, we should probably fix it. So it's one of these behaviors that I think will, will lead to other good behaviors, kind of like threat modeling does. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. I really like your point that you're making, like the software maturity in the engineering. I think I have an opinion about it because a lot of organizations go really quickly, really fast, and it's really difficult to put those architectural framework at the beginning when everything is on fire, you have to jump on everything, you have to go to market. I, we both been in startups uh, and I am still <laughs> of my own say, I know what burning things, like you need to throw a feature tomorrow and then it becomes part of the code and forget about it, putting good engineering practice. There is like the risk level of dying tomorrow is so much more present that 
everything else take a shit. But we forget that a lot of those companies become the one percent of the company, and it's really difficult to bolt on good engineering practice unless there is regulation. And that's I think where a lot of I have a lot and hate of regulation, but I think it it really steers an industry into doing what's right because as a business. Unless there is somebody forcing me to do it, like, and unless I'm enlightened, I'm not going to do it because I want to make money. <laughs> As a business, I want to make money. I don't want to make good things unless, again, I'm enlightened, but there are very few. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think it's one of these things where the software industry as a whole has benefited from moving faster and faster. And when you do that, there's certain other risks that you have to take on. When we moved from waterfowl to, to agile, I mean, we took on risk. And because at least with waterfall, you could actually start to identify what could potentially go wrong. And with agile, you, you don't necessarily have that, that same ability. And you're constantly in an agile team, you're constantly being pressed for feature, feature, feature. Instead of that thing that, oh, you just discovered this in this future iteration that, oh, this thing that's that's wrong now, but then it's deprioritized with, with some of the other things. So as an industry, I think we are starting to wake up to some of our decisions that, we, that we've collectively made. And I, I think they're the right decisions, right? They allowed our companies to be more competitive, um, which, is, which is good. But that also brought risk. That brought risk, though. And I think regulation is, is probably, if done properly, is probably the right thing to do, given the fact that, you know, I think most organizations, we simply want guardrails, right? We don't necessarily want to be told exactly what we need to do, why and when. We need the guardrails in place, right? And that's, that's really, I think, the extent of the regulation that we need. And with with the right framework, I think it could lead to some really positive behaviors. And those positive behaviors could then be commercialized by the vendors that are actually doing the right thing. Because, you know, since security is now a board level discussion, it's it's now a trait. It's now a sellable thing, right? You can actually, as a competitive advantage, Security is one of those things. So if you want it to be the most trusted provider of X, well, that that's that's part of the buying decision now, which which I think is a good thing. Demonstrated it, demonstrated outside, I think is a really good, important point. And use security as a business enabler and a business value rather than just as a cost center. I think that's really smart. Right. But to do that, we need to do asset management. <laughs> <laughs> and represent what we have and maybe the risk. And I think circling back on that, what I'm afraid on a lot of regulation is we're going to go back to the fix this particular vulnerability next time frame rather than do a risk space. And that, that shutter completely, that shifts mods that we're trying to really push. Because as soon as you have a regulation that says, you shall do static code analysis, you shall do Threat modeling, you shall fix X category of vulnerability in X number of days. It completely removes our ability to decide what's best for the business in order to meet that regulation. It forces us to get better, but not necessarily smarter, I believe. 
Yeah, you're right. And I've seen a number of contracts, regulations, et cetera, that as an example, will require use of the NVD and will require third-party components with a certain CBSS score to be mitigated, which is, it's not a really good use of time, right? CBSS does not communicate risk. It communicates severity. And with all of the data that's available from vendors, uh, I'm not going to mention any vendor names, but whether it's SCA or IAST vendors, there's a lot of data out there that suggests upwards of around 90% of all vulnerable third-party components are not exploitable in the context of the application they're running on. So if you have contracts and regulations that require you to fix all this stuff, with CBSS scores that has nothing to do with risk, you are wasting a ton of cycles on things that you could actually be doing that would reduce risk. So yeah, that's that's not a smart move in my opinion. And I think we should, you know, we, when those types of things come up, we should, we should probably push back, right? Because as businesses, we I think it's in our best interest to focus on the things that actually matter to us to us. And to our customers. No, totally. You, you, you did win the, the spiel for me. <laughs> you took the word out of my mouth, focusing on what really matters. I think it's important. I have a duality on this because I have a duality of approach because on one end, if it's too fluffy, then it's not going to lead to any outcome. If you do just risk based, it could be just a spreadsheet that says we do risk and it doesn't actually translate into action for fair and for discussion, point of discussion, anybody can do whatever they want with their organization. If they get breached, they get breached. But on the other end, if you took prescriptive, then I've seen organizations actually taking a dual approach on what they will report. And they have two metrics, metrics that matters and metrics that they're going to report on. <laughs> it becomes yeah, an it's kind of like accountants where you have two sets of books, right? Yeah. I, I can imagine that being a common thing. We're not, we're not against accountants. Uh, accountants do actually really good <laughs> asset management. <laughs> this is true. We hire accountants for asset management. <laughs> at least, at least they would have the due diligence to make sure that everything's accurate, right? <laughs> and accounted for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in our industry, right, we, we try to target people just because there's a lack of security folks, right? We try to target things that, whether they're music majors because they're creative, maybe they are um, art history majors because they like to get the, to the ground truth of something, right? That kind of personality trait is really great for security. And maybe we have something with accountants. <laughs> maybe, we should, maybe we should target accounting schools. I think old school software engineering is absolutely boring. It's a lot of lists. Like nothing against boring, like boring gets you bridges that last. Engineering, it's something that is systematic, rigorous, but it doesn't allow a lot of wiggling room. And in security, we live in risk in gray areas and influencing people. There is a lot of psychological side. I think one of my good friends in one of the group we're discussing says application security is probably the best job for salespeople because you have to sell the fact that they have to get on with fixing certain things. And it's a psychological influence. People that are very analytical probably are not the best people at influencing. So 
I think we have the duality approach. Maybe we should pull in more accountant in this industry. The more the merrier. There's no shortage of problems for people to look at. That's for sure. Absolutely. But before we close, I want to mention, like we mentioned a lot of OWASP open source projects that you contribute, and we haven't dived in on, on what they actually are. Can you give us an overview of probably a couple of the flagship projects that you chair and contribute in sure. and created? Sure, sure, sure. So the OWASP Dependency Track Project is now 10 years old. It, it was started in 2013. It was my early speaking things in 2013, 2014. I was actually talking about dependency track as an asset management application for your components. <laughs> and uh, now we refer to it as an SBOM platform. That's basically what it is. It's 10 years old now. It's used by tens of thousands of organizations and government agencies. It allows them to ingest bill of materials, uh, including software bill of materials, SAS bombs, so software as a service bill of materials, hardware bill of materials, et cetera into dependency track and in, in dependency track will analyze them and do all kinds of really great things. So that's a flagship project that I that I lead. The bill of materials format that I mentioned, uh, Cyclone DX, the object model for that started basically in 2013. Um, mm. However, it didn't become a thing in and of its own until 2017. I, I was looking around for different formats that could be used for bill of material use cases, specifically for security. And I didn't really find anything that, that met our use cases. So it's one of these things where, you know, insert your, your favorite XKCD comic here, let's create a new standard. <laughs> so um, that's, that was the unfortunate reality. It's, it's still true to this day. So the other standards that are out there still do not meet our requirements. So it's it's a great thing that that Cyclone DX exists. Cyclone DX is a is a probably the most successful project that I've that I've ever managed. It uh, at this point, as of last year, January of last year, we estimated that a hundred thousand organizations were using wow. it in production. And we know just from dependency track systems, we know that uh, in excess of three hundred million components are represented in Cyclone DX every single month. So it's, it's had just phenomenal adoption, uh, everything from, you know, critical infrastructure, financial services, governments around the world, everybody's using it to this point. So it's, it's, it's a wildly successful project. It, it, it's very unlike any other OWASP project, right? Most OWASP projects are documentation projects or code project, tool projects, th those types of things. This is interesting in the fact that we have our own standards process. We have our own governance process. We operate as a meritocracy and we have, I don't know, 200 more contributors at this point. We have multiple working groups. We have the core working group. We have an industry working group. We have a bunch of maintainers. It is a massive project. I think we have like 60 plus repositories at this point. So it's, it's pretty, pretty big. It addressed the need that was like, it was there. Yeah. And the executive order has really kind of pushed it into the, uh, into the forefront. The interesting thing is that it kind of, Cyclone DX kind of grew up in an age of automation because, you know, DevSecOps was a thing. Security teams had to automate, not because of it, it was uh, trendy. We had to automate for survival. We had small security teams. And we were trying to do monumental things. So people needed to quickly do the SBOM thing and move on to more important things. So that's kind of how we, we architected Cyclone DX to be really easily adoptable and 
very easy tools and easy spec specification, et cetera. So it's very approachable spec. And then the final OWASP project that I, that I lead is the OWASP Software Component Verification Standard. And this is a OWASP Labs project. And it is a project that is designed to, for organizations to help them identify and measure and improve their software supply chain assurance. So it is, uh, there's, it's like all verification standards. It, It has multiple different domains and different levels for each, each, uh, item that that's in the verification standard. And it is referenced in its entirety in NIST SSDF. So any organization that wants to adopt SSDF version 1.1 is also going to be adopting the software component verification standard. We're also working within SCBS, we're also working on a sister project called the BOM Maturity Model. And this is really a project which is a complete taxonomy of every possible data element that you could ever put in a bill of material, along with identifiers and descriptions and the level of difficulty for this. And then um, that way, you know, you can start creating new breeds of tools. For example, if I get a bill of material from maybe a supplier and it doesn't have the data that I need to perform vulnerability analysis, I don't know that. And I run my scan and I see, oh, no vulnerabilities. It didn't have the data for me to perform that. Exactly. (laughs) It didn't have the data that I needed for my role and, and the type of analysis that I care about. That's the kind of tools that we envision to be uh, created as a result of this taxonomy. Amazing. So those are the three projects that I've been pretty actively involved with. Tiny baby project. Small ones. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Monumental. Steve, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, unfortunately, I could talk about this for ages and ages, and I love to talk about this. So maybe we will follow up. But uh, we have a tradition in the show that we like to leave everybody with a warm and fuzzy feeling at the end of the show. So what would be your positive message to close this fantastic conversation that we had today? With something like SCVS, it's a great starting point. You, you, if you want to identify and reduce risk, you know, supply chain is, is, is obviously a concern. A lot of these projects are really easy to get started. My, I guess, advice would be to reach out to the OWASP community. OWASP is just in a really amazing community. There's 20,000 active participants on the Slack workspace. There's over a thousand, I think, on Cyclone DX. We have amazing communities and people are always eager to, to help. So if you wanted to dive into any of these things, the OWASP community is really special. It, it holds a, a, a pretty close place in my heart. So it's it's a great place to get started. Just know that you, your organization, you're not alone, right? Every other person, <laughs> every other organization, we're, we're all in the same journey. We're all trying to figure it out together. And the OWASP community is special in that people like to help others out. So I, I would encourage other folks to join and just, just know that you're not alone in, in some of these journeys. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Steve, for all the contribution, massive admiration. And the adoption is, shows that this is a problem that we need solving, fixing. And likely enough, we have the open source community that got the security 
organization and the security projects so much far off. Like if I can think about any security vulnerability scanner or any security open source project that are out there, any organization maybe have two or three or 10 or all the full stack available, it's for free. So I think that's also made a massive dent in that and has led the charge in there. But also, where can people find more about the various projects and what you write as well? Where can they find more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So dependency track can be found at dependencytrack.org. Cyclone DX is cyclonedx.org. And SCVS is scvs.owasp.org. And you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Mastodon. And you can find me on the OWASP and Cyclone DX Slack channels as SSpringX. Right, and I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a fantastic conversation. And hopefully we get more of your time and we can dive in in the fantastic world of asset management in software. <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful adventure. Absolutely, Francesca. Thank you very much, Steve, for coming. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. Everybody, stay safe out there and maybe hide an accountant that is so eager to help you using this form and you so dramatically need. I hope this was informational and as always, stay safe out there. This is your host, Francesco. Thank you very much for this. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 